touchdown is this? Getting you. Yes, you. In the game. Coming up, rather than going through every game, which no doubt you've heard of, where we're looking at all the latest news, Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon, we're looking at you. We'll cast our eyes over the 2-0 team. Who should be looking at their flight to Atlanta? And the 0-2 team, who should be listening to the Gridiron College Football Show in preparation for the number one pick in the draft? Willie will have multiple rants. What is there? I will ask what are they? We'll come to you later on. So be a bit of nonsense and our Thursday night talking. This is the Gridiron Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips. Done and dusted. And uh, why am I doing the intro, Willie? What's going on? This is the Gridiron Show, by the way. That was uh, the longest intro in the history of man, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well done, mate. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's how I, it's how I do these things now. Uh, the reason, thoroughly. The, the, the reason why you're doing the intro is that we're recording this quite late on Tuesday evening. Other work issues got in the way of us doing it on Monday. Hence the idea of us doing not just a straight weekend roundup, but doing something a little bit different, uh, going over the news, going over the big talking points, getting involved in what we want to talk about from the weekend. But um, I've had new neighbours move in next door and they have two young children. And I am very aware that if I do the intro, there's every chance I will end up shouting and that will not be a good idea. Have you met them? Have you met these young children? I've met one of the two young children. I've met the dog, and I've met the couple that live there, and they all seem delightful. Oh, that's great! That's great. There's always that worry, isn't it? They're like bratty or whatever. I know the you know the the, the area of London that you live in. There, there is always that worry, but um, I'm glad that that's. Not I mean, the case. I don't know what that means, but it's a disgrace that you've come out and said it. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was out of order. Yeah, well, you know, that's the kind of man you are. Le Reveal, Magnifico, as our friends would say. Uh, this is, yeah, this is the Green Iron Show, as Ollie says. And, uh, Ollie, I, yes. should we start with some news? Let's start off with the news, yeah. I think that there's loads of it. There is absolutely loads of it. And we start off with the situation in Pittsburgh. Uh, another poor performance for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are 0-1-1 now after going down to the Chiefs and Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes for MVP. You read it in Gridiron first. Ten touchdowns over his first two games. Absolutely unprecedented. I'm not including his Week 17 uh, appearance as part of it. First two games as a fully installed starter. But there is the, uh, the there is a conversation that now needs to be had about... Um, about Antonio Brown. By the end of next se- by next season, they could have no Antonio Brown, no Le'Veon Bell, no Big Ben. Lev Bell is still not back with the team. Big Ben, we don't know what's going on with him, and he's, will he retire? Will he not? He doesn't seem like a particularly happy man at the moment. But things are getting real tetchy in the Steel City now. Fresh off another disappointing performance, Ryan Scarpino, who is now a writer but used to work for the um, used to work for the. Uh, for the organization tweeted uh ab needs to thank his lucky stars because he was drafted by a team that had ben and ben got ab paid you know darn well he wouldn't put up those numbers for other teams antonio brown tweeted trade me let's find out then what does it mean didn't turn up for practice on monday i mean he's since said that or this team have since said that it was a personal issue and that's why he didn't turn up for practice but that can be 
construed as anything, a personal issue that he didn't fancy coming in or he actually had something to do. But it, it's all there's something not quite right of that organisation. Yeah, I, I mean, from, from my perspective, we obviously can't say exactly what's happening with Antonio Brown. We don't know at the moment. And sometimes, like with the uh, Malcolm Butler situation, these things never come out. But good organisations don't have situations like this. And if they do have situations where someone has to miss training for a personal reason or something like that, it's not highlighted thanks to bad social media interaction. And it's not highlighted by the fact that there are so many other issues within the organization that this becomes just another one stacked on top of it. Pittsburgh are at a real risk with the rise of the Cincinnati Bengals and their performances this season, the potential that the Ravens team have and the Browns. Look, we'll talk about the Browns later, but if the Browns defense had anything to say about it, that team would be 2-0 right now. And I'll say early, I'm picking them for Thursday night football this week. I I think that the Steelers are in a really real position where they could miss the playoffs this year and could lose some of their best players. And it's down from as far as I can see to bad coaching and bad management, something which the Steelers of the great days gone by did not have a problem with. Don't forget the Bengals as well, who on offense are looking really, really good. But you, you say the bad management, and I think that all stems from what they didn't do in the 2018 draft. They didn't pick up someone to lead the lead the defense since Ryan Shazier's injury. They knew that he wasn't going to come back. There's no way. Ryan Shazier may never be able to walk properly again, let, go, let alone play football. They haven't replaced him. They didn't replace him in free agency. They, they could have picked up someone like Alec Ogletree, who, would have been, who was available, ended up going to the New York Giants, and would have been a perfect replacement for Shazier. They didn't do any of that. And as such... They're, they're weak in defense on all facets, uh, conceding loads and loads of points to, to, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs at the weekend. And now Lev Bell not, not, not turning up for practice and, and, and holding out. And then Antonio Brown now not turning up, uh, turning up for practice. It's just, it's a bit of a, it's a, it's the start of a dumpster fire there, I'm sure. And it, something's not quite right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that in an AFC, and we'll hear from our friends at, at Skybet later on, but they have really slipped out. But in AFC, where the Jags look really impressive this year, this weekend, the Pats have started to pull their sock, will start, will pull their socks up as the season yeah, goes will. on. Yeah. The Bengals have really impressed to start the season. You know, we talked about this AFC being weak at the start of the year, but there are some teams starting to rise to the top. I just think it is dangerous to think that you're untouchable because you've got some great players. Defensively, they were all over the shop against the Chiefs. And even though Pat Mahomes had a great game, and even though you know they moved from getting the ball to Tyreek Hill to Travis Kelsey and Sammy Watkins both having really big games, the big problem was that the Steelers run that pretty strict zone defense, and it just got absolutely picked apart. And they didn't react. They didn't make adjustments. They didn't... It was honestly an absolute mess on that side of the ball and okay you might be allowed to get away with the fact that Joe Hayden wasn't in the team and Artie Burns was playing her so maybe those cornerback issues will clean themselves up once those players come back but guess what injuries happen in the NFL you've got to be able to deal with that you've got to be able to find depth I just honestly they are a team that are worth being concerned about right now and there's no one happier than Matt Sherry, who has seen this coming. He'll say that clairvoyantly, Nostradamus guess that he's been seeing this coming. But um, 
they've they've Mike Tomlin especially has skated by on previous a bit like Mike McCarthy on on previous success and I think time surely is running out for if they don't make the playoffs time will have run out for him it despite the Steelers being one of those franchises that um that, that don't tend to get rid of their head coaches but it 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 screams like of a lack of leadership uh, throughout and allowing players like Lev Bell and potentially Antonio Brown to do what what they're doing is uh, is not great on all fronts. Um, to move on and look at some of the other big bits of news that are uh, coming out this week, the Atlanta Falcons they get a big win this weekend over the Carolina Panthers. Matt Ryan. Great game for him. Sees that there are red zone issues, so decides, do you know what? I'm just going to run the ball in myself a couple of times. A couple of touchdown for, touchdowns for him as well. But their injury problems just continue to stack up. Starting left guard, Andy Levitre placed on injured reserve with a torn oh. tricep. He suffered against the Panthers, expected to miss the remainder of the season. He also missed the postseason running with a similar injury and was really missed in that situation. Uh, they've already signed Zach Kerrin to their active ro- roster. Um, you've got Wes Schweitzer, who uh, played plenty of snaps during that uh, uh, during that win on Sunday. A third-year guy who started all of their games in 2017, but was beaten out of the right guard job by Brandon Fusco. So he's a guy who they're admitting was a stopgap last year and is now having to be a stopgap again this year when they've already got their red zone issues, when they've already got the, the run game issues with the fact there's no Devonta Freeman. It's exactly the kind of player in Levitra you really didn't want to be missing right now pretty devastating for Falcons in in, in NFC South which right now is wide open with the Bucks just (laughs) currently running away with things yeah the Bucks doing what they're doing and you know they had injuries on offense and defense but one of the things that that hadn't really affected the Falcons in those first two games was their offensive line they were pretty good against the Eagles who have that story defense that front seven yada 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 and they kept Carolina at bay at times as well so to to lose Levitri is is a is a massive loss but the rest of that NFC South the the Steelers uh, sorry the Saints stuttering shall we say the the Panthers We'll come to the Panthers in my what are they section, but what are they? And uh, the Buccaneers, they, you could say that again for the Buccaneers. What are they? But um, I don't know whether you saw, do you know Baldy, Brian Baldinger, who does his breakdowns on Love Twitter? Love Baldy's breakdowns on Twitter. Did you see the one about uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick? I think it was earlier today, where he's just saying Fitzpatrick is seeing the field in slow motion. He's seeing it little. He's seeing it large. And he's making the throws and he's and he's just playing out of his skin at the moment. Yeah, yeah, love it, just love it, and coming out looking like uh, Conor McGregor. Pro- like if he doesn't absolutely lay an egg next weekend, it should be his job when uh, Winston comes back. Absolutely fascinating. The amazing thing is about the Bucks as well. Uh, beforehand, they were everybody's team for. Oh God, I don't want to watch them. But the amount of points they give up on defense and the amount of points they're scoring on offense and fits magic and the, the the wide receivers all look pretty good and OJ Howard having a breakout game last week or on Sunday they I I want to see them despite the uniforms as well I just I, the the buccaneers in two games and also I'm saying despite a lot despite Dirk Cutter I've um I I, I want to see what they're going to do next they've they've become interesting which is incredible really Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, 
<laughs> That's just my noise to say I agree with you rather than just saying I agree with you because I, I prefer arguing with you, but I'm just going to go with an mm-hmm from now on. Um, sure. More news. Carson Wentz cleared to return on Sunday. I mean, uh, the Eagles struggled in a big way to move the ball in their loss uh, this weekend. The loss that I don't think a lot of people did see coming to Tampa Bay. Uh, Foles had one unbelievable rainbow of a throw into the back of the end zone uh, for the touchdown that got them right back into it. But other than that, there were struggles on the ground constantly all day. And, and actually, there were struggles with the the defensive line getting to quarterbacks as well which meant that those big plays those super aggressive defensive backs that they've got there if your if your defensive line isn't getting to the quarterback and your cornerbacks and your safeties are still being super aggressive that leaves the possibility of the big play completely wide open and that's what happened to them against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers mm. but Carson Wentz if there is that question mark. There always will be of, mm, would he have been medically cleared and rushed back this weekend if, if Foles had looked amazing this past weekend? But he will be back uh, for the Eagles this week. It was confirmed on Monday. And um, you've got to ask what's going to happen to Nick Foles because next year he's got a $20 million year extension option that the Eagles can exercise. You can't think that unless they get another issue of um, uh, of a, an injury to Wentz that they will look to exercise that based on what they've seen in recent weeks. Uh, you've, I think you've got to kind of look at it and say, does anyone take him on as a starter after what we've seen in the last two games? Did he miss his potential opportunity to go and make himself a, a starting quarterback somewhere by sticking with the Eagles? I mean, that's a great point. I think there are play, there are teams that that could do with him. I, Buffalo Bills, if he becomes available, the Buffalo Bills should chuck, I don't know, a second rounder. I don't know how much it falls would cost, but if the Bills want to do anything this season and are not resigned to picking first or second in the 2019 draft, that would be a logical thing because he's an upgrade on either one of those quarterbacks in up in Buffalo. So he may have missed his window, but there are a couple of teams, Buffalo being one, that you could say could do with someone like Nick Foles. What do you think? Yeah, I, no, I think he's. I think he'll be a high end backup somewhere. I don't think he'll make anywhere near the money he would have made this year. I think there'll be a team who have got an aging quarterback or a quarterback with injury worries who will look at him and maybe they've got some cap space. Maybe they've got a rookie or something like that. So they've got the room to spend and he'll get paid good money, but just very good backup quarterback money. Which so, is you're what he stays, is. so you're saying he stays an eagle for the rest of this season? Oh, yeah. I don't think he moves away now. I don't, but okay. after what happened last year, I don't think they take the risk that Wentz is going to be 100% all the way. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a good point. He's coming off a, a really big injury. Uh, Foles knows the offense. If he did what he did last year, it would be, yeah, you're right. It'd be madness to trade him away. <laughs> good point. I'm, I've, uh, I, I'm glad that you made me see sense. <laughs> well, I do try. I do try my best. Um, a piece of news that was kind of happening throughout the weekend anyway, the Browns trading Josh Gordon to the Patriots for a fifth rounder, not just for a fifth rounder, but uh, the Patriots will get a late round, I think a seventh round pick back if he's inactive for 10 games or less. I mean, this stinks like the ultimate Patriots move. And okay, I said I wasn't going to rant too much today because of the loudness for the neighbours, but I am going to say this. Cleveland didn't want to trade to an AFC team right 
They have the time on their side because he's under contract. They still have time to trade him away ages before the deadline. They had interest from the Cowboys, from Washington, from San Francisco. But the, the way it's been presented is that the Patriots came in and sealed the deal. I'm sorry, but a good organization takes what is on the table, takes it to those NFC teams and says, beat this. Yeah. And I bet one of particularly I'm thinking of the Cowboys would have matched what the Patriots were offering and they would have got what that not only that, but probably a higher fifth round pick from most of those teams because they'll be finishing lower this season than the Patriots and they go outside of the AFC. It's just ludicrous. It's just as brownsy as brownsy can be. It's proper brownsy. And there are teams all over the place that could do with, with him. And Seahawks being another one for me that, that could do with him. I don't know whether, I mean, you said the interest wasn't there, but it's just, it, it smacks of small mindedness, small team syndrome that they've done this. And, um, the Pats doing what the Pats do, picking up a guy and testing him out. And hoping, hoping that he that uh, it it sticks. Uh, it probably won't stick, but either way, they they've they've got the insurance that it doesn't. So either way, it's win win for the Pats. So yeah, Bill Belichick and that front office doing another brilliant job for the Pats in in getting a a good player, albeit with his problems, for cheap. It's a, it's a massively low risk, high potential reward situation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now we all know about the kicker issues this weekend. Uh, the Vikings have waived Daniel Carson and signed Daniel Bailey. The Browns have sa- signed Greg Joseph, uh, rookie kicker, uh, and cut Zane Gonzalez. I'm going to go on my second Browns rant of what could lead to three Browns rants in this podcast. It was indicated after the game and tweeted out by Adam Schefter that Zane Gonzalez was carrying a groin injury. And that the team were aware of this before Friday when they had an opportunity to bring someone in. So not only did, unlike the Rams who said our kicker is hurt, we're not going to bring, be able to bring someone else in in time. So we're just going to go for two. We're going to see if our punter can kick the extra point when needs be. All that sort of situation. Yeah. They, they put out a guy in a situation to lose it. And he did lose it. He left eight points on the field. And I totally get that. That's not a good situation to be in. I got pelters for suggesting that Tyrod was, you know, will get less flack than he deserves for this game. And actually, I've heard a few kind of film watchers, media guys saying that they think Tyrod, there needs to be some focus on him as well. So I'm glad that there are other people who are seeing what I saw in that game at the weekend. But Zane Gonzalez obviously does take some blame. Now, the organisation have put him in a position where not only is he losing a team who haven't won a game in 600 and whatever bloody days it is at this point, to put him in a position to lose that because he's injured. and A second-year guy with a job on the line is not going to say, no, I don't want to play because you know what NFL players are like. And, and all sportsmen, they will want to play through an injury. They will believe they can play through an injury because they're so scared of the idea of getting cut and losing their job. The Browns should have taken responsibility in this situation, known what kind of position they were putting this guy in, and not only just putting him in a position to lose them a game, to lose him his job, but potentially lose him his career. Those kind of performances for a kicker, particularly a second-year kicker, sometimes cannot be come back from. And Zane Gonzalez might never find himself starting in the NFL again. And yes, he 
could have himself turned around and said, I don't feel well enough to kick. I don't feel fit enough to kick. I don't feel mentally in the right position to kick because of my injury. Maybe he could have said that. But come on, you've got to take some responsibility as an organisation. It's it does again. It doesn't look good. It's you. You said it with the Rams. They didn't play Zerline and for the good of uh, the player. And to do this to a guy like Zane Gonzalez, yeah, he misses all of those kicks, and it's just you got you kind of feel gutted for the guy that he was put in that position that he had to do it. And they could have won the game had they done something else it would have changed the course of the game chaos theory you don't know the, the, the Saints may have played much better had he not been playing anyway but by the by it just it's a, it's a no one looks good in this all over no absolutely not uh, so the, then the Dan Bailey situation I'm just going to say this now Dan Carlson missed a couple of kicks. One of them a real sitter, and that is a shocker. Everyone's going, yeah, Dan Bailey, absolutely the answer. Can't believe the Cowboys cut him. He's got an amazing field goal percentage, over 84% in his career, yada, yada, yada. Except just look at the last three years. His high in 2015 was 93.4%. That's an amazing completion percentage. Yeah, he probably kept it around that for the next two years, right? 2016, it went down to 84%. That's still okay. 2017, it went down to 75%. That, no wonder the Cowboys cut him. <laughs> yeah, that is a worrying deterioration. Just saying that, don't expect, that there is a risk that you've got another Blair Walsh on your hands, Vikings yeah. fans. I don't think everyone is believing that this is the guy. It may not be the guy. And I hope, do I say that? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Packers fan. I don't like the Vikings rivalry reasons I hope it doesn't work out for Dan Bailey sorry Dan um, I hope you lose some games for the Vikings <laughs> um, what? other stuff from the weekend well, well can I can I just bring yeah, up yeah. A, yeah, yeah, seeing as on. we're doing it we might as well just do a bit of kick watch um, did you see the punter the Australian punter for the Seahawks yesterday Against the Bears. Uh, the Seahawks punter, he, yeah. he is single-handedly keeping the Seahawks in games. Not single-handedly. Russell Wilson made some ridiculous throws yesterday. Yeah, yeah, he did. Although, I I couldn't be bothered to get into this conversation again in our group with, with Simon Clancy and, and Matt Sherry, who do the excellent <laughs> college podcast. I watched the game in full Monday night and Tuesday morning, and I mean every snap, full three-hour version, not too, the... Yeah condensed game pass version not the highlights russell wilson did not have a good game no, the first half he wasn't very good at all the You're right the offensive line yes is a problem but they struggle with the fact that he freelances far too quickly there were four or five very clear occasions in the first half when i think he took six sacks in the first half and of those i would say at least three were on him where he held the ball far too long when there were opportunities there on the mm -hmm. field and he didn't see them. He wasn't seeing the field fully, where there was clear indication he should throw the ball out of bounds. The one where he's on his own one-yard line and nearly got done for a safety. And where, what, if you watch that situation, it's Mac and I think it's Aikens coming, out the coming around the outside. And actually, on a, one of the rare occasions, the tackles do their job, force them 
past Wilson, who has taken a first step up into the pocket, and they are currently not near him. Wilson, all he needs to do is... I, I, I haven't seen the All-22 film yet, and I want to see it particularly of this play, and I will dial it up at some point this week. It doesn't look like there's anyone open. It looks like decent coverage, but if it is decent coverage, he needs to step up, throw it away, get rid of the ball. What he doesn't say is he sees ghosts, tucks it, runs backwards into the pass rush. He actually sacks himself pretty much and almost causes a safety. It's bad football. That's People will say, well, you can't blame the quarterback if he's had years after under a bad line. But get like, guess who has been the best quarterback outside of Pat Mahomes in the NFL over these first two weeks? Fitzmagic. It's Fitzmagic. Do you know what Ryan Fitzpatrick does better than... When he's on song, when he's in form, what he does better than a lot of other quarterbacks in the league and what is comparable to the likes of Tom Brady when he's playing well... He doesn't take sacks even when he's behind a bad line because he gets the ball out ridiculously quickly because he is very intelligent when it comes to seeing the field, when it comes to... He also has a tendency sometimes when he's getting the ball out quickly to force it into stupid windows and throw interceptions. That's when he's bad Fitzpatrick. But when he's on form and and he's playing in rhythm and he's playing well, he's making those throws. So sometimes when you're behind a bad line... The worst thing you can do is hold on to the ball and try and scramble. You've got to try and get it out. You've got to try and do something different. And it feels like Russell Wilson and the offensive play calling. It looks like the Daryl Bevel offense from last year with none of the mistakes ironed out and a bit more vanilla. And that's the worst thing that could have happened to them. I, I, I honestly think the Seahawks are a really bad team. There's not much going for them. Chris Carson is okay, but... Um Michael Dixon, the the Australian punter, he's he's brilliant. Um, yeah, that is the one thing I brilliant. would say. He's amazing. So he's, a, he's a guy out of uh, Texas, Texas Longhorn, um, and his punts have been incredible. But the, he's pinning the 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 um, the opposition in within the ten yard line, within the twenty, within the five, almost at will from miles back. He's booming them, but uh, he took a kickoff. From the 65, he drop kicked like a drop goal. 60, I think it ended up going about 63 yards to for a kickoff. So that's a, that's a, that's incredible. And the guys on comms, I don't know who the the ESPN lead commentator is, but the Jason Witten et al had never seen anything like that before, which is which is remarkable. So we could all, I, I, it could be that we end up seeing. Um, Michael Dickinson doing multiple jobs if if they need it was it was just weird seeing Seabass on the sideline not taking a kickoff and uh, Michael Dixon doing so uh, I loved it I loved it Willie you know I love uh, players doing things what that they don't normally do the drop or kickoff it. I just I honestly didn't even know that was a rule it, for some reason I did know it was a rule but I don't know why I love that I think it I, I can't remember why. Maybe it was a Greg Brady thing from the last Super Bowl. I have no idea why, but I was like, oh, yeah, they can do that. And I loved it. It was great. Oh, I've just seen this. I didn't. I hadn't seen this. Pete Carroll has been speaking on Tuesday morning with ESPN 710 in Seattle and said, I'm finding Russ is overtrying a little bit. He's pressing in difficult situations to try and see if he can come up with a way to make something happen instead of just getting rid of the football. 
So and there you go. Copying and pasting that as we speak and putting it in our little group for Simon and uh, for Simon and Sherry. <laughs> and see um, what happens. Go on, do it. Do it. Yeah. Live do it now and see what happens during the show. I'm going to do it. I am going ah. to do it. Uh, I am go- live copying and pasting <laughs> on the Gridiron Show. <laughs> the other thing I particularly enjoyed this week, Eli Manning coming out and saying, the giant struggles. It's not just the O line. It's a combination of stuff. Uh, there was nothing that we don't have. To, there was no, nothing we didn't have an answer for. Enough things might mess up a little bit. It's a combination of everybody. It's not just the offensive line. Now they've lost their centre for the season. Who actually an undrafted guy who really had pressed to get that job and actually I thought was doing God, a that was bad. Decent it was a job. Bad one wasn't and it? it was when, uh, when he went down. A really horrible one. I um I have to say. I half read that headline and thought that Eli was going to say, actually, you've got to say it's partially on me. He hasn't said that, but he's kind of said that it's everyone and partially admitted it's him. When we look I'm, at the fact that, that Philip is, Lindsay is setting yeah. NFL rookie records through two weeks, that, uh, you know, David Johnson, we've got players at Le'Veon Bell. We've got these players who are at the very top of the running back game who weren't picked at the top. And yes, you've got Zeke Elliott and Leonard Fournette and stuff who were as well. But I think the Giants' decision in this draft not to take a quarterback when it was a quarterback-heavy draft, when there was somebody like a Sam Darnold available to them, or a Josh Rosen, who I still, you know, I think I still believe we're only two games in the season, who I believe is going to prove to be one of the better quarterbacks out of this draft as well. When those options were there to take the luxury position of a top-end running back when you are not a team in the position to currently win, I think will really come back to bite them. If they end up drafting high in this next draft, they're going to find there's not a lot of quarterbacks there, and I think they're going to really start to regret the fact that they didn't push harder to try and get the one they wanted or to take one in this draft just gone. Yeah, I totally agree, because there are there's a litany of problems across their entire roster and we knew all of this going into the draft. They didn't fix any of them. I, okay, they fixed. They brought in Alec Ogletree, but um, there are other issues elsewhere. Actually, their defense has been playing okay, but on offense, the offensive line, shocking. They've got no blocking tight end or decent blocking tight end, and they didn't need necessarily to bring in Saquon Barkley at that point. And it, it, it kind of makes you think, what would have happened if they had taken either more protection or or a, a bigger playmaker on defense or a quarterback at that point and where Saquon would have fallen to would the Browns have picked up Denzel Ward not Denzel Ward but the the the, the I think it's Denzel Ward would they have picked him up at um, at 5 or where they ended up moving back didn't they but the the, the concertina effect of how the NFL would have looked so much more different had the Giants done what they probably should have done rather than sticking with Eli Manning, who they surely think has got at least two years left, including this one, two years left in him. And it's quite clear to see that he hasn't. His The way he threw the ball at times on Sunday Night Football, wobbly passes, overthrowing some, underthrowing others, uh, lots of it was lots of checkdowns. The checkdown thing was just getting annoying. Like, <laughs> constant, constant checkdowns. Just, just throw the ball up. Even the commentator said Eli's going to have to throw the ball a bit further than checking it down to Saquon Barkley. He's like he's the new Alex Smith, but a worse, worse version. 
Right. Let's say, let's take a break. And then let's take a little look at how we feel about the teams at this stage of the season with a look back at week two as part of it. But those two and O teams, a bit of what are they? A bit of should teams be looking at the number one pick overall? We have put a poll out on Gridiron on Twitter, which you won't be able to have got involved in this part, asking who's the worst team in the NFL as well. So we'll get to your responses and, uh, and the rate on that as well uh, so yeah let's take a little break and then we'll come back and we will do uh, some some look at the teams and how they should be feeling through two weeks hazel Irvin here and i'm at mammoth insurance in leeds where kate has arranged an office chair race to fundraise for sport relief and these riders have got their kit on they are rearing to go and they're off Taking an early lead and smashing injustice right out of the park, it's Daphne from Accounting, riding the spreadsheet demon chair. Up comes Nina from HR on Beat Me and You're Fired, closely followed by Mark from Marketing on the 9 to 5 chair. Even Javid from Health and Safety's at it, weaving his clipboard like crazy. Go easy there, Javid. We don't want any injuries, fella. And from nowhere, it's Jenny on El Chero Loco, rolling right over poverty to cross the line first. And the crowd goes loco. Unbelievable. You can help change the world too. Just get your exclusive Sport Relief merchandise at Janeiro's Sainsbury's. Sport Relief. It's game on. This message was brought to you by Acast. Are you listening to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips? Getting you. Yes, you. Sorry, I was reading some of the uh, the WhatsApp responses. <laughs> in the game. Really funny that um, the I put that in there about the, the danger rust situation. And the first thing that Matt Sherry came is, well, maybe because they employed the worst coordinator in football. It can never be Russell Wilson's fault with those two. They are honestly so enamoured with the guy because he has that amazing big playability. They, th- I mean, the two of them considering the second or third best quarterback in the NFL. Well, they, I think they, but they agree third behind Rodgers and Brady. They, between them, switch around who they have in that order. Uh, yeah, I, I like Russell Wilson a lot, and he clearly has kept that organization as a winning organization for a lot of years, where they've they've not drafted well since what 2012 or something. But Russell Wilson has kept them relevant, and he's clearly great, and he's clearly a franchise quarterback. That doesn't mean I have him in my top five, top six. And I just, they, you, they won't hear it. They literally won't hear a word of it, no matter how many relevant arguments you make. So let's just move on from it. Uh, should we talk? Uh, it was very funny that they bit, though. I loved that. Well done, Lance. <laughs> um, right. Let's, uh, yeah, let's talk about the 2 and O teams, first of all. Yeah. There are seven teams currently sat at 2 and O, And what I want to ask about them is, for each of them, is there a reason why... They shouldn't be. Um, is, is there? Is that why? Maybe they shouldn't be booking their plane tickets to Atlanta yet. You know, I don't want to focus too much on negatives. I feel very negative, but just th- there are reasons to be so positive for a lot of these teams. What could be their downfall? Well, let's start off then at um, where you know if, if you're going to look at the NFL and you you look at divisions always first up comes the AFC East because of alphabetical order yada 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 and the Miami Dolphins they're 2 and 0 and actually this also comes into my little thing what are they because they are 2 and 0 but what are the Miami Dolphins now coming into this season i think the only person on the planet that was high on them was Simon Clancy 
but they're two and zero. Oh. Uh, sorry, and, and the rest of us and most sane, other sane people were thinking, yeah, but Tannehill's coming back off a bad injury. Not sure about the running game. Uh, the defense does, has lost a few pieces. No Mutton Sue anymore. Uh, what have they got at receiver now that Jarvis Landry's gone? You know, all of these things. There's so many, there were so many worries about them, yet they're 2 0. They won the seven hour game against the Titans and they. I don't know. I don't know what you say about the game in in New York. They they just managed to get the win. So, what are they? I don't think they should be booking their tickets to no, Atlanta. No, but absolutely, it's not. a weird one. They it's are, a weird are, one. The Dolphins. They are a team who do still lack that very top end superstar kind of difference making player. Now Ryan Tannehill, as Simon Clancy will point out, is nine and one in his last ten starts, and that is an undeniably very impressive rate. Now it's very funny you ask this because Chris Kaufman, uh, who is does the, the podcast, uh, uh, the Dolphins Three Yards Per Carry podcast with Clancy, put this tweeted this. Keep seeing people say they don't know who Miami is or what their identity is or some BS. Dolphins have one of the most deadly ground games in the NFL. Oh. Stopping the run, playing good defense and special teams. If it were any other team, we'd know exactly what their identity is. I'm sorry, the most deadly ground game in the NFL. They are one of the worst teams when it comes to efficiency on first and second down. Their uh, turnover differential at the moment puts them in the uh, puts them kind of positively in the opportunity to win but I don't think they necessarily have a defense that's going to force turnovers constantly they need to be able to force other teams into third and long more regularly than they are and they need to be able to get themselves out of third and long more regularly than they are and be in third and short situations it's great that they've won the first two games, but they were outgained by a hundred yard by the Jets. And that says to me, you're lucky to win a game in that situation, or you've had turnovers that have helped you. Those big plays cannot necessarily be relied on for a whole season. I think Miami have been more impressive than I expected them to be. And I'll hold my hands up and say that I still don't think they're more than maybe an eight and eight team, but that's better than before the season when I was saying, I thought they were a six win team. So there you go. Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with any of that. I just, I'm still, I'm, the, the jury's obviously still out, but, um, uh, yeah, what are they? Don't know. Uh, the, the, let's go to the Cincinnati Bengals. Two and O, two pretty impressive wins on the road at the Colts at home against the Ravens who just beaten, uh, the, the who just beaten out, um, the, the, the Buffalo Bills. So everyone was pretty high on the Ravens coming into this, going up against the Bengals, but the Bengals, they went off on offense and, um, I really love that they're using AJ Green in more of a, a red zone capacity, and they've found that Tyler Boyd can be that underneath guy. Um, Tyler Eifert's starting to make a few big plays. They have lost Joe Mixon for maybe two or three weeks, three or four weeks, but Gio Bernard is a good backup to him. I don't think they're going to Atlanta, but looking at the rest of the AFC and the the fall of the Pittsburgh Steelers, this could be a perfect opportunity for the Bengals to capitalise and certainly make a run at the playoffs. Uh, defensively, they look great. Geno Atkins yeah, already exactly. has three sacks on the season, has been fantastic, and they have been stopping drives and stopping other teams' momentum. And, you know, that also helps with turnovers. It also helps with better starting field. 
they need to run the ball as well as they did. The first week of the season, they went 5.1 yards per rush, and they're going to be missing Joe Mixon for the next two to four weeks with his ridiculous tackle-breaking ability. Is a question there over whether or not Gio Bernard and the uh, without a Jeremy Hill-type pounding down the middle back they are able you know between the tackles guy they're going to be able to do that Andy Dalton had an incredible passer rating against against pressure against the Ravens which is not something he normally is he's not normally brilliant under pressure so can he continue that also the Ravens single covered AJ Green in the red zone even after his first touchdown even after his second touchdown they played a bad game so it's going to be. I want to see what the Bengals continue to produce on offense. Now there's no mix in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've they've brought in. Um, they've they've, they've uh, they're going to bring in a, a rookie running back to help Gio Bernard. I think they'll just find more ways of using Gio on the out of the backfield, maybe, and also some of the up and down, the north to south stuff, but. Yeah, you're right. How much will Mixon being out for these indeterminate amount of games so far? We don't know whether it'll be three or four. How much will that affect them? Um, because it, Joe Mixon looks really, really good. Really, really good. It's Mark Walton that's come in um, the, from Miami. Yeah. And uh, if he can complement Geo, then... You never know that the, the, the Bengals could go on a little run and start to put themselves in the box seat in that in that division, the AFC North. They're, they're, it, it's worth looking at um, Frank Pollock and the job he's done there with the offensive line as well. The, yes. the former Cowboys offensive line coach. Great work through the first couple of weeks. Can they keep that up as well? Let's go to another team that really interests, interests me at 2-0 because I didn't expect a lot from them this year. The Denver Broncos. Averaging 4.61 yards per rush, getting two rookie running backs who are both in the top five amongst rookies in rushing yards so far. And Philip Lindsay in particular looks great fun to yeah. watch. Um, are they going to be able to maintain that when it comes to the passing game? Are they be able to keep the rushing yards up? And their offensive line doesn't look like it's going to keep pressure off Case Keenum at the moment. And, uh, oh, yeah, I, I just that's really my worry is Case Keenum at the moment is having a lot of the pressure taken off him. If the pressure is put on him, does he raise his game or does he shrivel? Because um, uh, defensively, they look great, but that might not be enough. Yeah, defensively, they look great. Um, Case Keenum, when the pressure was put on him for the Vikings, at times he did brilliantly. At other times he didn't do so well. But for the Vikings, it those times where he did brilliantly far outweighed when the pressure did get to him. So if you go on last year and how Case Keenan reacted, then yes, I think they'll be okay. I think they could be a sneaky bet to get into the playoffs. Their home form is going to be huge for them because at mile high, they're used to playing a mile up in the, in, in the atmosphere compared to some of the other teams. Uh, Oakland Raiders were always going to come back and play a bit harder than what they did the first in the first week. So it wasn't a surprise that that was a, a closer game. And often these inter-division games are always far closer. If their defense stays healthy and they can keep Case Keenum off the field for a short, you know, they, so they they could keep Case Keenum off a short off the field for a short amount of time then I could see the 
the Broncos doing well. Not quite, not quite Atlanta well, but you know maybe uh, rivaling the Ravens or someone like that for that final wildcard place. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, two and zero, brilliant win over the Patriots this weekend. Uh, we've both talked about how Blake Bortles looked fantastic although I have to say whilst Blake Bortles looked fantastic and uh, you know I am very much one of the rare people who sits on the I don't mind Blake Bortles train that's as positive as I'll be about him Uh, prior to this week Nathaniel Hackett nobody in the in the league has done a better job at scheming their quarterback to be in a position to be successful they sadly pulled away from it against the Patriots in the AFC title and it cost them. And I think that was uh, a a rookie team in the playoffs in terms of the coaching, not knowing what to do in that situation, not staying aggressive, but they didn't do that in this game. However, it looks like Cam Robinson uh, is done ACL tear for the season. That's a horrible, horrible loss. And, the the offense will need to keep aiding Blake Bortles to avoid pressure, to keep that play action going, to keep those bootlegs going, which will let him play the limited quality game he can play. And uh, just over 17 games, do you trust them to be able to do that? Um, Blake Bortles, not necessarily, but the his weapons around him are starting to show up. Safarian Jenkins, tight end, who came from the Jets, who's had his problems, but hopefully they're behind him. He scored a touchdown against the Pats. Keenan Cole looked absolutely brilliant. I mean, the 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 Odell Beckham style catch was superb. Didi Westbrook is showing up. Dante Moncrief got a catch. He left a couple of got a TD. Sorry, he left a couple of others on the field. TJ Yeldon looks good out of the backfield. So they look. I wanted to ask you actually, why is it that they look a better team without? Leonard Fournette I I just think that it forces them to be more intelligent in their scheming and it forces defences to not focus so much that they almost become a little one dimensional with Leonard Fournette in there what I'd love to see them do is run the scheme they ran against the Patriots but with Leonard Fournette lending the talent in the backfield there's this idea that if he's in there we've got to run him 25-30 times a game Corey Grant looked great against the Patriots this weekend. Let's use him more. Um, TJ Yeldon is still a guy who I think can have a positive, positive impact on a team if given snaps. Why not split it around them? It helps with Leonard Fournette, a guy who has had lots of niggling injuries over the first two years of his career. And it also helps the situation with the... Uh, it also it also helps the, the, the situation with making sure that Blake is schemed into being in a positive situation. There, there's so many reasons why... It can work with him in there. I don't buy this idea of they're better without him. That's that's not. Well, they the, he's so well, talented. No. They can't be better without him. They're, They've just got to coach better and play call yeah. better when he's in there, and not just lean on him. Well, and they said that on the comms, um, Frank Frangie, Tony Baselli, et al. They said it on the comms that without Bortles, uh, without Fournette, there, they're not they're not running on first down every time. And leaving them more to do and becoming more, um, what's the word, more unpredictable, more unpredictable. And therefore, it keeps the defense guessing. But, but, but because when Fournette is in there, it feels like and it felt like to them that they were running more on first down. And then it, it, the, the predictability is there and defenses know how to deal with that. And therefore, it puts more pressure on Bortles on second and third to make a play. Whereas... 
we saw it against New England. He was making plays on first down. Uh, even if it was going for eight, nine yards, he was still making those plays, getting the ball into tight windows. The Patriots were daring him to throw them. Belichick was daring him to throw it, and he was doing it, and he was making it. So Bortles is, is in really, really good nick at the moment. And with that defense, we it's amazing. We've spoken about the Jags now for three or four, five minutes, and we've barely mentioned the defense. And with the defense playing how it is playing, with all of those pieces, and Calais Campbell hopefully will be... Oh, they've got to keep that turnover next. differential way up. Exactly. That's the other thing. Exactly. And if they... Uh, with, with the cornerbacks and everything else, Telvin Smith, I love I love their defense. When you've got a great defense and you start two and zero, and your offense is starting to come together, you can be looking at a deep playoff run. And I think they should be looking seriously seriously at accommodation in uh, in Atlanta. We are um, we we are at risk of running incredibly long on this podcast, and so there are a few more teams at two and zero who I think uh, are a little easier to spot their weaknesses. So I'm just going to run through them very quickly. The Kansas no. City Chiefs defense done. Their offense is just looking like the best in the league. Will it stay that good as the season goes on and they're not so scripted and they need to react more to teams? Who knows? Um, the Los Angeles Rams, they look as stacked as anyone, but uh, just keeping Jared Goff's performance high when under pressure from the opposition, that's one area where his passing rating under, passer rating under pressure is 28.6. It's 117.6 when he's not under pressure. Last wow. season, last season it was 61.6 under pressure to 110 not under pressure. So it's about keeping Jared Goff as clean as possible in the pocket. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers can fit magic, be fit magic for a whole season. And can their defense stop the deep ball, which I'm not 100% sure they can do, but we'll find out when they face the likes of the Steelers and the Falcons over coming weeks. Uh, I couldn't have um, summarized that any better. I want to do a quickly a couple of what are they's. Yes, 100%. Um, the, the New Orleans Saints. What are the New Orleans Saints? Because they, they stuttered at best. I think against the Browns, the Browns' defense is actually really, really good. But with those weapons, I don't understand how the New Orleans Saints didn't win that ease, more easily against against the Cleveland Browns. So, what are the New Orleans Saints? What are they to you? I think they're a team who aren't reaching their potential defensively. They've got brought in new talent, but it's not shown in their pass rush, which was reasonably anemic early on. They've got quality in the backfield, which hasn't shone. I think they're really missing Mark Ingram on offense. Even though Alvin Kamara has some very flashy numbers in the first two weeks, they haven't found a great... Like, Jonathan Williams hasn't lived up to being a between-the-tackles guy for them. I think when Mark Ingram comes back, if they can be at 3-1 and one or 2-2, two and two, that will help their offense be less... It'd be less predictable do because they've got two running backs there who can both yep. catch the ball, who can both run between the tackles. That's what made them so good last year. I think the Saints will be fine. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Thank you for that. What are the Tennessee Titans? Because they won Mike Vrabel won his first game last week as a as a head coach. They lost the the, the weird seven hour game. Their best quarterback was the safety Kevin Bayard their best wide receiver was an, a rookie who caught Kevin Bayard's um, fake punt throw which was Crookshanks which was, Crookshanks was, uh, seems like he's Wait, a character out of Crookshanks? Harry Potter yeah, it's not the name of that cat out of Harry Potter yeah it's Crookshanks so 
I think it's Crookshank rather than Crookshanks, which is it, which it is in Harry Potter. It is so Crookshank, and it's spelt C R U I K. Yeah. What? So, uh, what are the Tennessee Titans? What is their defense all about? What? Why aren't they looking that great on? on offense what what are they they're not running the ball well at the moment they have real problems with their offensive line that's their biggest problem is that they have incredible talent on that offensive line and none of it is healthy right now i think if they can maintain a decent record and get the likes of the taylor lewans and the jack conklins of this world back fully fit that will make a huge difference to them. they were even missing their third tackle dennis kelly this past week but Mariota, Henry, Dion Lewis, it hasn't been quite clicking there yet. And I want to see what they do. I also think they lack playmakers in the passing game now they've got to, not got Delaney Walker. I think they might end up being just a, a real vanilla team this year, unfortunately. There we go. There are a couple of other candidates, but we're running like... Throw, throw them the out LA, quickly. Throw them out quickly. The LA, the LA Chargers, what are they after they won last week, but they lost the week before? Again, they've got all of these great weapons but I think without Joey Bosa their defence he kind of tied the, the they, he was like the, he's the, the big rug. Lebowski rug he's the he, big he, Lebowski he, rug absolutely he tied their entire defence together 100% that's a great shout um, by the way the, the, uh, did you know with the Texans that it's now something like six starts since uh, JJ Watt got a sack well I was going to say he would be, what are they? The Cleveland Browns won a game more recently than J.J. Watt got a sack. Yeah, and the Cleveland Browns defense is great. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what the Chargers are. They're a team that I really like on paper. Philip Rivers can ball when he wants to. And they've got yeah. so much talent on the defensive side, but they just feel like an injury-ridden mess. Just feel like a team that can fall apart at any moment because of those injuries. And that's incredibly frustrating. And they ju- and th- th- it just seems like when when it comes down to it, they just can't get over the line, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is sad because <laughs> we really, really like them. And the, my final, what are they? What are the San Francisco 49ers? San Francisco 49ers are a team who, and obviously I've got lots to say on this, are a team who are still figuring themselves out. And I don't think that's a problem. They are still a team who are figuring out how their run game works uh, without Jarek McKinnon. They're a team who are figuring out, they were terrible on the offensive line the first two weeks of the season. And that has caused Jimmy Garoppolo to not be able to play up to the same level. Mike McGlinchey having to move inside and then actually coming out injured, uh, missing both of their starting guards. You know, they went out and they picked up the likes of Western Richburg, picked up Mike McGlinchey, wanted to play the system where the linemen are so key in being able to pull block and being able to be movable on the line for the system Carl Shanahan runs. That has made it just very difficult to figure their offense out at the moment. I think as they get healthier, they'll improve. But defensively, Fred Warner's been great through two weeks. They've got Reuben Foster coming back, I think, this week. DeForest Buckner, I'll keep saying it, sneaky defensive player of the year candidate. He was brilliant again in week two. I think that the 49ers are still a team in transition, but there are plenty of positives to take as well as a few negatives. So this is the most positive I've felt about the 49ers since they last went to the NFC Championship game and then they lost all of those defensive players in the space of 12 months yeah. to retirement and injury and everything else. Um Breeder I really like and I think with Jeremy Garoppolo uh, I'm, I'm we're still 
waiting to see how he puts this entire how he how he carries this team but i think he's got some of the other guys around him to do so hello john jackson he's waving at me um uh, we put a poll out on gridiron at gridiron who are the worst team in the nfl now the a load of people suggested oh how come you haven't got uh, the new england patriots in here what about um the giants they would get my vote you could, i think you could add oakland to this but really it feels like through the first two weeks there were two quite clear candidates from week one there was the buffalo bills who were destroyed by the uh, the baltimore ravens and the arizona arizona cardinals who were dreadful absolutely dreadful against the LA Rams. I think you said that uh, they'd only had five first downs and one of those was in the opposition. No, two of those were in the opposition half and that was on their final drive of the game. Who do you think won that poll, Willie? Buffalo Bills or Arizona Cardinals? I'm starting to lean towards the Cardinals being the worst team in the NFL. I think the Bills, people are still convinced by it, but the Bills had a good second half. Uh, at the weekend. Maybe that's because the Chargers took their foot off the gas, but Josh Allen made some good throws. The offense got clicking a little bit. They got within, what, 11 points. So, you know, uh, they're still a terrible football team. They're still the least talented team. Heck, we haven't even talked about the fact that Vontae Davis literally retired at halftime of their game. Uh, and I think that is, uh, as much as his statement talked about health and everything else, and he's always been an interesting character type guy, Part of that is to do with how bad the Bills are. But the Cardinals only crossed midfield with the second to last play of the game. They only had five first downs in the entire game this past weekend. And you know I'm a Sam Bradford fanboy all in all. That means I think he's a a, you know, above 20th best quarterback in the league when he's healthy in, in a decent team. That's what a fanboy counts as with Sam Bradford. God, they look bad. David Johnson's just doing nothing, so... The Bills will have won the poll, but I think the Cardinals could win the poll in two weeks' time. Yeah, the Bills won the poll. Uh, Mike McCoy, the offensive coordinator, the new one, in the first two weeks, he's been mainly using uh, David Johnson, who delighted that he's back, but he's mainly been using between the tackles early down runner rather than getting your best player the ball most of the time. Uh, Steve Wilkes has said, we've got to use David We've got to utilise David from the standpoint of getting him out of the backfield, putting him in the slot, putting him out there to try and create the matchup that we need. Well, isn't that obvious? Why aren't you doing that from game one rather than thinking about it after game two? It's just that's a, a ridiculous situation. He was most people's second or third pick in fantasy. He was incredible two years ago. He had that horrendous injury last year. I don't think it's down to the injury. I think it's down to dreadful coaching. And I really hope that they pull their finger out, figures out because it's almost, it's almost an affront on the great Bruce Arians that this team is now so bad. It makes me, it makes my blood boil because I love Bruce, coach Arians. And the fact that they're, that this team are playing how they are playing, uh, it is, um, it, 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 it upsets me. Uh, Ollie, I've really enjoyed this podcast. Absolutely zero focus, and we've managed to make it work. Well done, us. What do you mean, zero focus? (laughs) No, you know what I mean. We didn't really have a plan coming into this. We kind of cobbled it together, and it worked great. Yes, we did. Why do you keep keep defending it? 
We had a pre-show meeting about <laughs> 10 hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to bed. Uh, Ollie, brilliant stuff, as always, mate. Touchdown trips. You heard Ben on the last podcast. They've got some great deals at the moment. Go and watch a game in America. It's really worthwhile. And there is oh, God, there's is. trips that you can do for like a long weekend for well under a grand per person where you get to go to the game, the tailgate, the hotel, the flights, everything included. It's worth saving up for a few months and doing it because it's really, really, it's a, it's a great way to spend your holiday, honestly. So, um, Let's we'll finish off as we do with our look forward to Thursday night football uh, with uh, our friends at Skybet. But Ollie, how do you see Browns Jets going quickly? Is it at the Jets or at the Browns? At the Browns. Oh, do you know what? The dog pound night game on TV. I think the Browns will get their first win. I, I there's something about the 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 nation nay the world's focus being on you against a team which wasn't very good last week a young quarterback okay the jets defense is 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 pretty good but i've got a feeling for the browns maybe maybe a little tyrod taylor might have to come out of the game for some reason i don't know what it is maybe an injury something like that bacon mayfield winning the game for the browns Ooh. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I'm with you. I'm excited. Come on, Cleveland I called Browns. a massive game. I'm I called a massive it. game for Khalil, for Khalil Mack. I called that. I called it, and it happened. So, you know. <laughs> well, it's been 634 days since they last won a game. By the time it gets round to Thursday, that'll be 635. I think it'll be 635 and done. Come on, the Cleveland Browns. And no offence to Jets fans. I just think the Browns' defence against a rookie quarterback could prove the matchup to win this game. Right, let's get the latest betting on now with our friends at Skybet. Otherwise, thank you for listening to The Gridiron Show. Right, let's talk about the latest odds now with Skybet joining us for our weekly chat. Jacob Barner. Uh, hello, Jacob. Uh, how did you enjoy week two? Hi, yeah, really good. I thought we had some really, really good Slater games um, to enjoy during during red zone we had some good underdog victories and some really exciting games which i think we got to enjoy during the tv games as well yeah I, there's nothing better than that little nine o'clock to nine thirty window there when those games are coming to a close the next ones are starting it all it chopping and changing I, it was brilliant this this past weekend and like you say a few underdog victories a, a couple of teams really surprising us and i think that's been reflected particularly on the afc side of things when it comes to the the super bowl market yeah, I would, I would tend to agree. We have kind of two teams that people weren't really sure whether we could take them seriously. Um, that's probably started with the Jags-Pats game. We had a re- re- kind of repeat of the AFC title game, and it started off very similar with um, the Jags taking taking the lead. But this the difference this time was they were able to close, and especially without Leonard Fournette. And this has been reflected really by the market. The Jags were twenty to one at the start of the season, and they're now into ten to one. Wow! And um, sitting at almost third favourites for the Super Bowl. So I think it really has been reflected this week. And the big probably difference is that if this if they're now tied for their seed, then and there is a repeat again in the AFC title game. Then this, that game's going to be in Jacksonville. And I think any time you can avoid go to Foxborough in January. It's massive. 
Yeah, absolutely huge. Uh, of other teams, uh, the Pats obviously losing that game uh, drifted out slightly. It, uh, you were telling me six to one out to eight to one. But I'm I'm intrigued by the the, the other big game, the Chiefs Steelers game, because. 10 touchdowns for Pat Mahomes over the first two weeks of the season. We all knew this Chiefs team were going to be more exciting with him under centre. I'm not quite sure we expected them to put up close to 100 points over the first two weeks. Absolutely. I think we expected an exciting offence, and that's what we've got. But I think we also expected more mistakes than we've got. I think we expected from a young kind of gunslinger for him to throw a lot of touchdowns, but maybe throw some interceptions, maybe not take care of the ball so much. But that's not really what we've seen. And that's, again, been reflected in the market. The Chiefs were 33 to 1 at the start of the season. No one really knew how, what to make of them. And now they're sitting at 14 to 1. And that's been a big move. Everyone expected the, um, the Chargers to take, take control of that division. And I think we've got a, almost a new king of the AFC West, if it's not too early to say. No, I, no, I think it's. I think it's not too early to say. Although the Broncos, they are sneaky. I, I'm telling you, I think they could be interesting this year. It also means the Steelers have drifted out nine to one, out to eighteen to one. What I yeah. will say about that is that's something I would consider at this point because not what's not being talked about by the performance this weekend. There's no Joe Hayden, and with the rest of their secondary banged up. What they do on that side of the ball needs those corners to be fit and ready to go. And I just think I think they will improve whether they're a Super Bowl team. I'm not 100% at the moment, but you can get much, much better odds on it now at this point. I, I suggested to you I wanted to talk about a couple of divisions, and, and you put these two forward to me. The AFC North and the NFC South. What what have the movement in those markets look like? So let's if we start with AFC North while we're talking about the Steelers... Um, they've moved out as well, not just for the Super Bowl, but also for the division. And this is a division that's really interesting. After week one, we saw Baltimore looking like they could be the team to maybe push the Steelers a little bit. But then Thursday night, we get the Bengals with a great performance to beat them. And now they've moved in quite a fair bit. And I think there's almost a little quiet optimism surrounding Cincinnati. And I think they've moved in. You know, we've got the Steelers now. They're sitting at 11-8. to So if you do think that they can pull it around, then they've drifted out a fair bit. But the Bengals right on their heels now at 2-1. to Baltimore drifted out now to 5-2. to And Cleveland, as much as they've, they have looked better, we ca- you can't say they haven't looked better than last season. But having zero wins at this point, it will be tough for them in that division. And that's why they're sitting out at 14-1. to and then what about for the NFC South? Because that looks like a really tough one to call at the moment. Yeah, it certainly does. I think the, the odds definitely reflect that. You've, um, the Bucks were 10-1 to 1 at the start of the season for the division. No one kind of knew where they'd even get five, maybe six wins from in that division with Winston, Winston um, being suspended. But Fitzmagic just doing his, doing his thing. Unbelievable. Yeah, I don't think any, anybody could have predicted that this would have happened. And they're sitting now at 11-4. to 4. That's the same odds as the Saints. Wow. Which is incredible. But when you look at it, this is two games they probably looked at on their schedule and thought that's two really tough games for them, regardless of who's playing quarterback. So the fact that they are able to pick up two wins, it's only a 16-game season. Two wins is quite a big swing. 
So they're now sitting at 11 to 4, same as the Saints. The Falcons we have at 15 to 8 as a slight favourite. And the Panthers are now being pushed out to 7 to 2. This is a division where odds are moving very quickly because it's so tight. The Panthers were the favourites for the division going into week two, and they're now furthest back. So this is a really volatile division. (laughs) Nobody knows what's going to happen. And I think that's why it's so exciting. Uh, So to Thursday night football, the Jets go to the Browns. Uh, I have, as is now tradition, a request to bet, which we'll get to in a moment. But first of all, kickers, such a problem for the Browns and for so many teams this past weekend. So I want to know what I can get now they've made a change on more field goals than touchdowns in an attritional Thursday night game. That's an interesting one. Um, we're gonna we're sticking that up at four to one. I think you're right. Making the change should definitely help Cleveland, and I think it's going to be possibly a game. The points total is quite low. It's just moved up slightly. It's sitting at forty points now, and I think in lower lower games with lower points, you you may be looking at more field goals to, than than a lot of touchdowns. So that could be an interesting one. More yeah, more field goals than touchdowns in the game is uh, up at four to one. Wow, and then look. I uh, my request about this week. I was stupid. I went for the road team last week. I'm going to go back to my usual Thursday night plan and go to the home team, even if it is the Cleveland Browns. I have them for their first win of the season, for Sam Darnold to throw two or more interceptions, and for any defensive or special teams touchdown. What will I get for that treble? So that's going to go up at eight to one. Um, I can see. I can see you thinking. You know, Cleveland. Both these teams have looked a lot better than the previous season. And Cleveland have kind of just found ways to lose or not win. And I think you're right. Making the change on the kicker could be the difference this week. Home advantage could hopefully be the difference. Sam Darnold, we've seen good and bad from him. You know, he started off both games fairly rocky, but then he's kind of come back into it, come into his own. But I think he can definitely, there's, there's interceptions to be, to be taken. And the Browns have got three picks so far. Um, Denzel Ward getting two of them, the number four overall pick. I think the cle- the key for Cleveland is getting getting pressure on him. They've got Miles Garrett. They've got they've got the, the the pieces there to get pressure on him. And if you look at the first two games, when Darnold has got his clean pocket, he's completing eighty one percent of his passes. But when he's under pressure, that drops down to fifty percent. So if you can get him under pressure then you might be able to get the you'll be able to t- take the ball off him like we saw early on in the first two games. My my thinking behind this is that Cleveland lead the NFL in in uh, takeaway giveaway statistics in the differentials so far. Three interceptions, like you say, five fumbles as well, which helps towards that potential defensive touchdown. The Jets already have five takeaways this season. That that's joint lead in the league in terms of interception, a couple of fumbles as well. I just think this is a game where you've got a rookie quarterback, a quarterback who doesn't necessarily fit the system in Cleveland. I think there's a real opportunity for there to be some big defensive plays in this game. If, if Cleveland's defence were playing the game on its own, they would be 2-0 and right now. They've been brilliant through the first two weeks. And I think Thursday night football, short week, less time to repair, prepare for a rookie quarterback in Sam Darnold. This is the week the Cleveland Browns finally get their win um as always of course uh, we must uh, remember to note that these odds are, are right at the time of our conversation which is a uh, tuesday afternoon pod will be going out later tonight uh, and of course please gamble responsibly absolutely thank you very much no worries brilliant stuff really appreciate your time it's josh joining us from skybet for the latest odds head to the skybet website now 
Four days like no other. A festival like no other. For a bookmaker like no other. Betfred. Get up to £40 in free bets when you sign up using promo code CHELT40 and stake £10 on any Cheltenham race. Betfred. At the heart of Cheltenham. 18 plus. New UK customers only. Available from March 6th to March 13th. £30 free bets credited within 10 hours of first bet settlement. Extra £10 free bets credited if first bet loses. Full terms at betfred.com slash promotions. Keep it fun. BeGambleAware.org.